Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth podcast number 905 with author Stephen Campbell about his book entitled Making Your Mind Magnificent. Use your new brain science to transform your life in negativity, thinking, improve focus and clarity and be happier. This podcast number 905 is brought to you by Sally Ornstein. Sally guested on the show to promote Robert's final book that she co-authored entitled God 4.0 on the nature of higher consciousness and the experience called God. The book offers a fresh understanding on how the brain can produce a transcendent shift in consciousness that some have called seeing God. In this interview, Sally and I discuss about nonverbal experience, normal consciousness, and the experience of creativity and problem-solving that will direct your life and that will enable you to understand much more than you currently do. If you want to know more about Robert and Sally Ornstein and their books, please visit their website at www.robertornstein.com. That's www.robertornstein.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Stephen Campbell about his book entitled Making Your Mind Magnificent. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And we have Stephen Campbell joining us, and he's going to be speaking about Making Your Mind Magnificent. Um, Stephen, good day to you. How are you doing? Good day. I'm good. How are you? Well, through all of this craziness, all yeah, this craziness, all this craziness, but in spite of it all, we're still making it. We're still here. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's just going to keep getting better. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's yeah. the way we got to look at it. That's and your book, your book actually helps people make it better. Uh, Because we're going to be talking about the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that would be programming ourselves for fear. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're in the mood around COVID or whatever, and you're fearful, fearful, uh, Stephen's going to give you some ideas Mm -hmm. that can help you reprogram this mind Mm -hmm. to not be so afraid. Yeah, Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. And I want to tell them a little bit about you. Stephen Campbell is an author, speaker, mentor. Mm -hmm. Individual organizations worldwide, individual and organizations worldwide. His book, Making Your Mind Magnificent, provides not only a simple yet comprehensive understanding of how your mind works, it also offers straightforward and easy to understand principles that you can immediately apply, help you change the way you think. Uh, he's got a bachelor's of science degree in zoology, and we'll talk about how that works uh, from San Diego State University, my alma mater as well, in 1970. Okay. He worked 18 years in administrator in various California hospitals. And then after acquiring his master's of science degree in information systems um, from the University of San Francisco, he went on to pursue his greatest love, teaching. And he's been a college professor and education dean in Northern California for over 20 years. You can also find out more about Stephen at www.stevencampbell.com. We'll have a blog entry uh, in there as well. Well, Stephen, that's just a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you come about writing this book? Why did you write it? I know you've been a professor at universities. 
and you kind of had a, uh, I don't want to call a calling mm-hmm. uh, to do this, but explain to our listeners how you came about writing this book and why you believe it's so important for our listeners. Well, actually, I began back in uh, when I was a junior in college. I was studying to be a physician and a young man on drugs, unfortunately, ran into my VW with his old 88 in order to kill himself. And uh, the friend that I was driving home was killed instantly, and I was in the hospital off and on for a year. And there was a point in which they had to put me into a spike of body cast, which is a cast that goes from your toes up to your chest. And uh, I'm a Christian, and uh, that was too much for me. So they put me in the cast. They said, you'll be in this for another four months, and I'll already be in the hospital for three months. And I walked away and uh, I said, I can't, I said to myself, I cannot do this. That's when I began really crying and weeping and not understanding the whole thing. As I lay there in the bed for many, many hours, I realized that, you know what? I'm not completely helpless. I can't make my legs grow back. I can't put my face back together. I can't do any of that. But I can replace what I'm thinking. I can replace the messages I'm giving myself. And so I decided when I was there in the bed looking up on the ceiling, that's all you can do with a spike of body cast, that I am going to lock on to possibly there being something wonderful coming out of all this. That's what I'm going to lock on to. And Years later, when I began studying cognitive psychology, the work of Dr. Albert Ellis and Ramachandran and, and um, Homesteader, Homesteader stuff, I realized that what I was saying not only came from the Bible, but it came from psychology itself. And the principles that I've been studying over the years, I used for my students. I found myself teaching in a course called Career Transitions in a particular college, which helps students take tests and take notes, etc. But I began sharing with them what the brain does for us when we're learning new things. And here's some principles that I, that I taught. Number one, when we talk to ourselves, our brain is believing everything we tell it without question. That's scary, but that's wonderful. The scary part is that unfortunately, most of what we say to ourselves is negative stuff. That comes from the work of Dr. Shad Helmstetter, who wrote What You Say When You Talk to Yourself. So when we do something dumb and we say, that was, uh, that, I'm so dumb for doing that, the brain says, oh, okay, yeah, you're right, you are. And the scary part about that, and this is called Neurotrans, um, neuroplasticity is that when you lock onto new messages, like I was really dumb for doing that, the brain not only believes it, it begins rewiring itself. So those, those new messages become a part of who you are. Yeah, so those, that's the scary part. Those dendrites fire. That's right. You, they fire then, away. And you right basically your, create a pattern, a habit, right. a pattern, a pattern, a habit. speaking. That's right. And that's, that's kind of my first question here is, you know, in the introduction, you state that your brain accepts what you're telling it, which is what exactly you said. And it's called self-talk. Now, I haven't labeled it negative self-talk yet. So what does research tell us about self-talk and how would you recommend to the people listening 
to reprogram that negative self-talk. Now, it'd be one thing to have a mantra or an affirmation mm-hmm. or to reprogram it. The, I always say is, is the brain believing that? Are you believing it? Mm-hmm. Or are you just creating a statement? Or is there another way that's a lot more efficient, Stephen, to actually know that the brain is going to believe it and mm-hmm. achieve it? Here's some wonderful information that came out from a book called um, Phantoms in the Brain by Dr. Vyas Ramachandran out of UC San Diego. It turns out that our brain never asks the question, is it true or not? All the brain cares about is what we tell it. It never says it's true or not. The brain says, okay. And it gives us a couple examples. Phantoms refer to phantom limbs that have been amputated. And the patient will go into a doctor's office. He'll say, God, help me. I can't do a thing with my arm. And the doctor may say, well, that could be because I cut off that arm six months ago. And the patient may say, well, you didn't tell my brain that. My brain still thinks it's there. And it gives some amazing stories of, of, of how our brain believes what we tell it. The person that we think of that studied that the most was Oliver Sacks. So the brain doesn't care whether what you're saying is true or not. So let me give you an example to to make this real. For the first 42 years of my life, I said to myself, I'm really stupid, especially in math. I can't do numbers. So when I saw numbers, I would freak out. But then in the 70s, I began discovering computers. And I began tinkering around with computers on my own. And I discovered that computers, for me anyway, are really easy to understand. So I went back to college and got a graduate degree in computer science. And I began teaching computer courses. And one day the dean came to my office from this one university and said, one of our math (coughs) professors just quit. So you are our new math professor. I said, wait a minute, I can't do math. He said, you want a job? Learn. There's the book. Next semester. Well, I needed the job, so I went to the library, picked up all the books I could on brain-based learning. And as you can see over here, there's this is my library packed with books about psychology. And I based my course, my math courses, on how the brain learns. And students began saying, you are such a wonderful math teacher. And they began saying that over and over and over. And what I did was, Greg, I began replacing what I had been saying to myself with these new messages from these students. Notice I didn't say change. When I talk about psychology, I never use the word change. Here's the reason. The brain hates change. The brain doesn't want you to change. The brain's job is to keep you safe. The brain's job is to keep you risk-free. So when you talk about trying to change myself, the brain fights you tooth and nail. So what we do is we say, I'm not going to change the messages. I'm going to replace them with new messages. So I began giving new messages to myself, like I'm really smart with math. I can really do this. This is really fun. And lo and behold, it just so happens that I am really smart in math. And I went back and ended up writing two college textbooks on computer science and math. Why does the the brain, Stephen, why is the brain so resistant to change? 
because its job is to keep you safe. Its job is to keep you risk-free. It's a primary job. It has many jobs. And so when you talk about changing, even though the change might be good, the brain says, oh, <coughs> let's not do that. That makes me really nervous. Let me give you another example that, that illustrates this. Now, in the, in the parts of the brain, the amygdala, you yeah. talk about the reticular activating system. Yeah, we, cortex, we, know we know the frontal cortex. Where is this resistance in the brain coming from? It's coming and, from. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't that's okay. finish. That's sorry, okay. Go ahead. No. Where is it coming from? It's coming from the amygdala. Amygdala. Which is okay. very, very deep in your brain. Its job, it's got sort of the fight or flight mentality. Mm-hmm. Either, either something comes in and it either accepts it or fights it or flies away. And I put on a third one. It also freezes up. So the brain says, this is new. This may not work. I'm, I want to keep you safe. So let's not do this. Let's, let's not change. Let's go back to the old ways. Let me give you an illustration of this. I ended up teaching math at USF, and one of my students came to my office out to the first day class, and she sat down. She was very shy, and she said, Mr. Campbell, uh, I'm so glad you're my professor, because I am a C student in math. How do you know, Sue? She said, I have never gotten above a C in a math test, so I am a C student. I said, well, I used to be that way, so let's work together. So I worked with her, and she got an A in the first midterm. And I'll never forget this, Greg. I gave her the test, and she absolutely freaked out. She went, (gasps) and then she said, oh, Mr. Campbell, this is a mistake. What do you mean, Sue? She said, I have never gotten above the C in a math test. You must have made a mistake when you were grading this. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, Sue, I, I graded this myself. This is an A. So then she looked at it longer, and this is amazing. A big smile creased over her face, and she said, do you know what this means? And I said, of course I do, Sue, but you tell me. This means, Mr. Campbell, that when I flunk the next test, I can still maintain my C. (laughs) (sighs) It's that strong. And I said, Sue, just get an A on every test. She said, oh, I can't. Why? What was her answer, Greg? I'm a C student. Right. And right. that's she exactly wasn't. what, yeah, and that's exactly what happened. She flunked the next test. She got a C in the course. So well, you I, know, you know um, <coughs> that's an interesting story. And, and I, <coughs> I can understand that because the programming is that strong. Now, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people on this show. And Stephen Kotler is one of them. Mm. And the brain science studies are are pretty extensive around people wanting to get into flow. And this is an off-the-wall kind of question for you, mm-hmm. but something mm-hmm. that goes. But we have people that are microdosing little bits of LSD to get beyond it, or they're pushing the limits with mm-hmm. certain things to actually get the brain to accept, how do I get there? You know, when it comes to learning, we've seen certain things lately that have accelerated the ability to learn. Like what are, well, I had a gentleman on here that was 
um, I'm trying to remember, uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably six, eight months ago on learning. What I'm going to ask you this. What would you do to help individuals listening, unlike Sue, not only accelerate their learning, but then accept the fact that they are smart? Okay. Let's talk about our self-images. If you, when you have a good understanding of your self-images, this will really help your listeners. So let's talk right. a little bit about our self-images. Notice I didn't say self-image. Right. There's I many said self-images. There's many of them. We have right. a self-image for every single thing that we do. So I have a self-image for how I see myself as a teacher, as a grandfather, as a father, etc. Now, what I want to share with your listeners, and this will really help them, is to realize that those self-images are learned. You were not born with them. Now, Greg, you and I were born with certain natural dispositions, okay? I was born a natural teacher. When I was a kid, I used to put rocks in my backyard, pretending I was teaching them, okay? I was a weird kid. Does that mean I didn't have to learn how to teach? Of course not. I had to spend years learning how to teach, okay? But it was a natural joy to me to teach. I don't know you well enough, Greg, but there are areas of your life that you're just naturally good at. It's just, it's something that you naturally do and you love doing. Those, so those are your self image But our self-images in general are learned. Now, here's what I want to share with your listeners. How are they learned? Okay, and this is what they might want to write down. Our self-images come from our self-talk. Let me say that another way. Our self-images come from what we say to ourselves about ourselves. So going back to Sue, when she said, I'm a C student, even though the A was there, the brain said, yes, you're right, absolutely. And she kept saying that to herself, and she didn't do well in the course. Okay? That's the way our brain works. Our brain locks on to what we say to ourselves about ourselves. So am I being stupid in math? I was only that way because that's what I said to myself. Okay? Mm -hmm. And there's so many other areas of our life in which we can replace the crap that we're saying to ourselves with new stuff and we keep locking on to it and the brain eventually rewires itself so those new messages become a part of who we are. It's like when I was a little boy, my dad taught me how to ride a bicycle and he took me out to this road. He took the training wheels off. He said, now, Steve, before I give you a shove, you see that rock on the road about 50 feet? Yes, daddy. Don't run into that rock. And you already know what happened. Right. You ran I got the rock. down on the bike, locked onto the rock, ran right into it. That's the way our brain works. Right. So for the last half of my life, from 42 to 74, I began locking on to different messages other than what I've been saying to myself about myself. So here's one I want to share with your, your listeners, which is so exciting. Our brain listens only to us. Our brain listens only to what we say to ourselves about ourselves. 
Well, Steve, and I get this asked all the time, what about what other people say to us? What about that? What others say to us do not become a part of us until we believe them. Yeah, and you know, they're, what you're saying is so true. And I remember reading this in the book about the self-images, and you, you have many of them. But the reprogramming of the self-image through the positive self-talk, let's mm-hmm. say in this case, um, is an element that anybody who's studying personal growth, self-improvement, self-development wants. And you you pointed out something in a little story, which I thought shows the strength of the mind. In other words, the memory, how strong the memory is. Mm-hmm. And you, you talked about this class reunion. You had this good friend. And you guys went to this reunion and he's all the way across the <laughs> the, the bleachers on the other side. Mm-hmm. You hadn't seen this guy in 40 years. Both of you had changed. You had no hair. He had no hair. Uh, you claimed that you both gained 40 pounds. Speak with us about the story and the brain pattern detecting device, because if that's the case, which it is, we we run into an old person you know, you remember their name, or maybe you don't, but you know that you're there. Mm-hmm. And you call it this PFI process. Mm-hmm. And I think the listeners would really like to know about it because it can operate positively. Mm-hmm. But if you lose that memory, you literally are losing yeah. a part of yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. So let me share with you how much our brain can learn and grow and change. And the, what I do is I illustrate my daughter. When our daughter was three years old, she was raised in Roner Park. Roner Park, a little enclave about 60 miles north of San Francisco. So she knew nothing about the city. So I'm going to have your listeners imagine a brain. Okay. So just sort of put in your mind a brain. That's a picture of Sarah's brain when she was three years old. And there's nothing there because she knew nothing about a city. Mary, my wife, said, we got to teach Sarah about the city. So I said, okay, I'll read her a book. Now have your listeners draw a little tiny circle in the silhouette of that brain. And in that circle, put the word book. That illustrates what is called a neural cluster, a little teeny cluster of neurons that the brain forms during the day when you're learning new stuff. Now draw another circle and put in book there. I read her another book. Then we showed her some people and some cars and some lights. So you have this little brain, this brain filled with circles. Those circles illustrate neural clusters that you are, that your brain is forming during the day when you're learning new stuff. It's constantly rewiring itself. And that's one of the things it does is right under your prefrontal cortex here is creating those clusters. Now, Here's where it gets exciting. When we go to sleep at night, our brain says, okay, wonderful, leave me alone. Because now what I need to do is make sense out of all the stuff that you gave me during the day. And I didn't have time to give to do that during the day because you were giving me too much information, sights, feelings, all these things. So now that you're asleep, I can take all the things that you recorded up here and look for similarities, look for relationships, and then I can connect them. So that's what the brain does over the next hours. It takes all of those clusters and connects them and creates patterns. 
Now, how many patterns can the brain carry? The patterns are based on the connections. The connections are based on the number of brain cells you have. Neurons, this is white tissue, around 83 billion. Okay, that's the latest I've seen. Okay, each of those 83 billion cells are connected to an average of 10,000 other cells. Now, Greg, that's not a multiple, that's a power. So the number of connections that our brain can carry, this is the human brain, which then creates those patterns, is 83 billion to the power of 10,000. Mm-hmm. That's 83 billion times 83 billion, 10,000 times. It's a Mind number that, yeah, it's a number that we can't even fathom. Dr. Ramachandran says on page eight of his book that neuromathematicians have calculated that the number of patterns which the human brain can carry is, as he says, exceeds the number of elementary particles in the universe. He's basically saying there's there's really no limit, but there is a limit, and this is what I want to share with well, you. Well, what is the what is the concept around? You know, I was speaking with an author just the other day and, you know, rightfully not in the space where he's teaching the magnificent mind, but done a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he cited a statistic, which I didn't know. He said there's 11 billion sensories coming in every second. Now, I don't know. That seems like a lot. But it doesn't surprise me. I haven't seen that. But, but, that we, ha- but we have the ability to process that because we've got to focus. Yeah. You, know, you and I. We can, we can, you know, we can have peripheral, we can sense, we can feel, we can, all these things are happening to us, but really we distill that down. And I think he said about 70. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's like the brain has the ability to process all this information that's coming in through your eyes and other senses and literally process it down into about 70, which is about all we can handle. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't I, surprise me. So, so what I'm talking about though is taking all the stuff that you're learning and making it permanently right. in your brain. Right, it's a pattern. It's, it's like a, a pattern, pattern recognition. Right. Yes. Right. So, right. what I tell my my listeners is this: that that since the human brain is so amazing in terms of what it can remember and take in, the primary element that holds all of us back from learning or growing and changing is what we say to ourselves. Right. Well, on that line, you know, I started this off about the unconscious, the subconscious mind and how it affects our self-image. Cause you talked a lot about the self-image mm-hmm. either negatively or positively it goes both ways. And what can our listeners do to reprogram the subconscious mind I know I use hypnosis. I have somebody that does hypnosis with me. Mm -hmm. I believe that that hypnosis is highly effective. Yes. I know a lot of, I know a lot of people don't believe in it at all, but there's a really, really interesting story that I tell about hypnosis. That's that, that has been done over and over. Let's, let's imagine um, that I put something in front of you on, on my desk and I say, okay. And I hypnotize you. Uh Uh-huh. And I say, this weighs 500 pounds, and I'll give you $1,000 if you pick it up. So you reach over and pick it up, and you're under hypnosis, so you think this, okay. You reach over and pick it up, and it doesn't budge. It does not budge. It doesn't move. And, you, and you're strong. You could pick it, and it should be flying across the room, but it doesn't work. 
Okay. Now I'm not, I don't really know you that well, Greg. So I want to make sure that you're not fooling around with me. So what I do is I put electrodes on your, your biceps here, the, the part that picks it up. And I put the other side to some sort of medical measuring device. It shows that you're lifting with about 40 pounds worth of force. This only weighs a few ounces. So this should be bouncing off the ceiling. It still doesn't budge within your lifting with another enough force. Why is it moving? Here's the answer. If I put electrodes on your triceps, the muscles that push down, it will show that you're, while you're lifting with 40 pounds for the $1,000, you are pushing down with 40 pounds for sanity. Because your self-image, one of your millions of self-images says, I cannot lift 500 pounds. It's what we do to ourselves. We -hmm. say, I'm absolutely convinced I can't do this. So what can I do? So let me answer your question in in a a couple of really neat stories. I want to apply this in two ways. One is when you do something really, really well. And the other one is when you blow it. And that pretty much covers everything. Okay. A study came out back in the 19, in 1970, 1975, called the effort effect from Stanford University. You can Google it. And what they discovered is that most of us pass over our successes way too quickly, too lightly for them to ever become a part of who we are. We pass them over. So when people say, good job, we say, oh, not really. Oh, that's embarrassing. I was part of a team. Thank you very much. That's egotistical. Thank you. But really, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. The sad part about that is that our brain believes what we tell it. So when we say, no, 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 our brain says, oh, okay. And those compliments fall to the floor. So here's a new way of thinking, which I share with my audiences. From now on. When someone says, good job, we look at them and you smile and you say, thanks, I know. (laughs) Now, I shared this with 300 Kaiser physicians years ago when I was teaching this down in Huntington Beach. And when I said, thanks, no, the whole barroom just broke up and roared with laughter. But I'll tell you, they love me. They absolutely love me. And when I was driving back to LAX, (coughs) I was so excited. I almost drove off the freeway. So I stopped for tuna sandwich to Coke at a Chevron. And when the car was gassing up, I looked at myself in the mirror. And I said to myself, you are the most amazing speaker. And you know what my brain said? My brain said, yeah, you really are. Because it agrees with everything I tell it. But here's what it also does. And this is even more exciting. And it also said, and Steve, you could even be better. And it began giving me ideas how I could be a better speaker. I'll do this and that and this and that. Now, if I had said I messed up here, I messed up there, which is true. I did mess up places. What would have happened to the gate that have opened? The gate would slam shut. So here's a new way of thinking when you do something well. From now on, when someone compliments you, you simply say, you know what? That makes me feel really nice. Thanks for taking the time to tell me that. And then you wallow in your success like a pig in slop. 
<laughs> That's good advice. Wow. Now you you give a great story about Cliff Young. I thought this was really quite mm-hmm. a story. A farmer mm-hmm. from Australia. Mm-hmm. This really exemplifies it. This is such a great story and really exemplifies the strength of the subconscious mind that if you tell it something, you can get there. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the stories to listeners? Of course. I thought this one, this one was just like blew me away what this guy did. Cliff Young, you can Google him. Uh, he's on the internet all over the place. He recently died, I think. But Cliff Young, back in 1968, entered the first Australian marathon, which went from Sydney to Melbourne, 885 kilometers, 545 miles. And 150 of the top runners in the world flew to Australia to run in this marathon. These were paid marathon runners. And Cliff Young showed up wearing muck boots and galoshes. And, of course, all the reporters ganged up on Cliff. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? They said, well, I spent my life on the outback on a 2,000-acre farm chasing my 2,000 head of sheep. I mean, this is a five-day race. I've run sheep for three. So he ran in the race, and he beat them all by a day and a half. How did he do that? When you run a race like this, you run for 18 hours and you sleep for six. Greg Cliff didn't know that. He didn't know you were supposed to sleep. So while all the other races were sleeping, he just kept on running using what is called the Cliff Young Shuffle, where the, 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 the feet are parallel. They're not, he doesn't lift them up. They're parallel right to the ground. Now, That's really inspirational, but I tell my audience, I'm not here to inspire you because inspiration lasts for maybe three days, and then we go back to our old ways. I'm here to help you change the way you think. So let's talk about the next year. The next year, they had the same race. Cliff Young showed up, injured himself, couldn't finish it. Eight runners beat his record. And the year after that, the year after that, the year after that, and they asked, what did you do? How did you train without sleep? And they said, easy. We looked at Cliff Young. If Cliff Young can do it, I can do it. It reminds me of the story. I, I wish I had forgotten his name. But up until the 50s, we knew that you could not run a four-minute mile. It was physically impossible to do. Can't be done. And then I forgot his name, but it had been 1954. Bannister. Bannister, thank you. Thank you very much. He did it. And now if you're running track in high school, if you don't run <coughs> if you don't run the four-minute mile, there's something weird. Right. It's just a natural thing. It's 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 the way our mind thinks. Yeah, it was interesting because he used to train in Lake Tahoe at high altitude. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's was that was where Bannister was. And yeah. I have a brother that's still alive that roomed with him. Oh, my God. That's why I knew. So, Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> so that's wow. what it was. But he was training around the lake. Now, you have a chapter focused on learning how to control self-talk. What mm-hmm. are the f- five levels of self-talk? And how can we use those uh, to control negative self-talk? Well, 
Let me center in, since I see that we're running out of time, let me center in on dealing with how to deal with negative self-talk. Okay. The five levels you can get on my book, but I want to center in on what do you do with negative stuff. That's a good idea. When we mess up, we often say to ourselves, oh my goodness, how could I have been so stupid? And the scary part is that our brain pops up and says, oh, I know. Remember that dumb thing you did yesterday? Yeah. And that dumb thing you did a week ago, a month ago, and we almost get on a list and we start going down the list of all the dumb things we've ever done now this is really important to understand greg when we do that and remember all the stupid things we've done our brain does not know that those memories happened a week ago a month ago a year ago the brain's recording the event again the memory of it along with the feelings that you had when it happened, and then is carrying it around. Here's what I tell my audience. You don't have to do that anymore. So here's what we do. When you mess up this afternoon, it's only 11 o'clock, so you'll still have another hour to mess up sometime before we're done here. When you mess up and you start getting off the list, number one, Throw away the list. And then use three wonderful words. You know what the words are? The next time. The next time. The next time I'll do it this way. And when you say the next time, you're saying three things. Number one, you're saying there is a next time. How many next times do we get, Greg? Unlimited. Unlimited. As many as we want. Yeah. Number two, when you say the next time, you're saying, I'll never give up. And number three, when you say the next time, you're saying, I'm still learning and growing and changing, which means I'm still messing up. But just because I fail doesn't mean I'm a failure. So positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Let me share share with you my last favorite story. Uh, Albert Einstein, not Albert Einstein, um, who invented the light bulb? Help me. Edison. Edison was asked by a New York reporter how it felt to fail 999 times looking for the filament of the light bulb. His response was, I did not fail 999 times. I simply found 999 ways it didn't work. Right. That's what we're doing in life, especially with COVID. We're trying things that work, and we're throwing out things that don't. Right. So important. Well, you know, you, this book, uh, Making Your Mind Magnificent for all of my listeners is, it's an easy read. Um, There's places for you to take notes, reflect at the end of each chapter. Uh, It's, there's also takeaways from each chapter, uh, which I think are really important. Mm. What would be the three takeaways that somebody could apply immediately okay two of them i mentioned when someone compliments you you say you know what that makes me feel really nice and wallow in your success like a pig in slop number two when you mess up you say you know what the next time i'll do it this way the next time i'll do it that way the next time i'll do it this way And number three, we didn't have a chance to get in this, but this is so exciting. This is a very much part of my book. Our feelings about ourselves, especially, 
it turns out are not coming from how we were raised and the events in our lives. Do you know where they're coming from, Greg? They're coming from what we are saying about how we were raised okay. and what we're saying about events. And we can replace what we're saying. Well, it's very insightful, Stephen. And I think that for anybody who, you know, gets the book, um, it's only going to take, you know, maybe one of the ideas that you take away from this book that's really going to help you. And I think we're all trying to constantly work on ourselves. This mm-hmm. this podcast is on inside personal growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you look in the mirror, you have to say, I'm a good person. You have to say that I can exercise better judgment next time. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these kind of things, which are don't berate yourself for something that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Say, like you just said, that, that Edison thing was 10,000 times that he tried mm-hmm. the light bulb. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, go at it again. Don't give up. Right. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Thank Growth. Thank you for and, having me. I really appreciate it. Some of the, your, your insights and wisdom about this. I think that our listeners will really love it. And we're going to put a link to Stephen's uh, website. Thank which you. it's just Stephen S T E V E N Campbell C A M P B E L L dot com. Stephen R Campbell R is yeah, the R in it? Sorry. Okay, Stephen R. Yeah. Okay, Campbell. We'll put that in the link. Okay. So thanks so much to you. Thank Namaste. you. Thank you so much. Have a great me. rest of your day. Okay. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again, and have a wonderful day.